Well, good morning. So here we are this morning, and we're on our series, What Are You Looking At? You've been hearing from me and Bill and, and Mark, and what are you looking at? So here's the question today. Are you fixing your eyes on Jesus or fixing your eyes on Jesus? So it can be a statement or be a question. And the scriptures in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Now, do we have in the room, now nah, that's being too demeaning and facetious. I won't do that. I started to say, do we have in the room a mathematical genius that can tell us what chapter comes before Hebrews 12? But we don't have to be mathematical geniuses. It's Hebrews chapter 11. Now, for those who are familiar with the scripture at all, realize that Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame of faith. In other words, these are the people that God selected to present as those who have dealt with the impossible and won. Those who have faced the enemy and won. But if you read the whole chapter, you find out that many of them actually died physically, never having received the answer to their prayer. But God says it's answered. So as we think about fixing our eyes on Jesus, where are you looking? Well, what you look at is what you will become. When we say fixing our eyes on Jesus, we're not talking about a glance. Let me just read it for you. Therefore, that's the reason I came in with chapter 11. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, in other words, we have the stories, we have the accounts, we have the history of all those who have walked and lived this life, and their testimony, their witness is what encourages us because we're going to go through difficulties as well. Some more difficult than others, but still difficulties as well. Those witnesses surrounding us, now listen, Paul is putting this in an athletic format. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance. Let us lay aside, put aside anything that would hinder us and sin and sin. Paul says, look at your life. Do a very careful Holy Spirit enlightened examination and determine is there stuff there that is easily entangling us because if it is we will not be able to run the race with endurance the race that's set before us so what's that saying that's simply saying that the life that we have been given through Jesus Christ is a life to be lived is, as Paul puts in these athletic terms, it's like running a race. And if you let things in your life that should not be there, then you're going to get all tangled up, messed up. And he wants us to run the race, run it well, and finish well. Now, how do we do that? <clears throat> Verse 2. Back to our phrase, fixing our eyes on Jesus.
Have you ever fixed your eyes on something? I'm going to quit preaching and go to meddling just for a little bit. Some of you are too young to know what that means, but that's beside the point. Have any of you men ever fixed your eye on a particular car? Well, I got a groan. Okay. I didn't say that was bad. It's just the idea that some vehicles catch your attention more than others. Okay. And then the other question for the ladies, have you ever fixed your eye on a, for some of them it would be a car as well, but I'm going to skip over that. Have you ever fixed your eye on a particular outfit that you would think, boy, would I look good in that? Okay. So when we talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus, we're not talking about, like, say, just a a passing thing. That's not what this is. It's not just like, okay, well, yeah, I kind of glance over there. I see Jesus. But what is that really like to focus my attention on Jesus? In other words, where are you looking? And then I want us to take a moment here just to look at the encumbrance and focus and fixing our eyes on Jesus and think about this. We're going to come back to how to do it in just a moment. I just want to walk through some things first. When you, when we talk about encumbrance, when you get angry, who are you fixing your eyes on? Huh? Yeah, on yourself. And on somebody that did something or didn't do something that ticked you off, right? And some people get a little extreme in this area. So the question I would ask is, when you get angry, what is it you throw? Words or stuff? I told you I was going to quit preaching and go to meddling. I remember when I was young, and for those who don't know, my parents had eight children they had me and four girls in what we call the older family and then later on they went crazy and had three boys that was their choice but I'm growing up with four sisters my little brothers came around I came along so late I didn't even really know them I was basically out of the house but one morning my sister and I are at the table one of my sisters And we're arguing across the table, and we're throwing words at each other. Now, I'm sure none of you have never done that to anybody, particularly those, you know, we just did the marriage retreat. None of you have ever done that to your mate, so we understand. We're just such great folks here, right? But my sister decided that throwing words at me wasn't enough. And so she picks up her fork and throws it at me across the table. And that fork got me right there. I mean, literally stuck in my nose. Now, back then they made forks out of something substantial. And it hurt, just so you know. But if you think about it, if it had gone one way or the other, I could have lost an eye. 
So when we're doing things like this and we're, we're not focusing as we should on Christ, we're focusing on ourselves and what we want and how we want it or whatever that may be, or we're focusing on somebody else, and this is just one area, then we can mess it up royally. We don't have to. That's not what God wants because we always have to go back to what is the Holy Spirit of God with his fruit and his gifts in us What is he manifesting and revealing? Because as we're focusing on Jesus, here's the key. We are then enabled and empowered by God through the Holy Spirit to see others through his eyes. Now, let me give you another personal illustration. Eighth grade. My name is Bishop. Back then, I don't know how they do it now, but we were seated alphabetically. And so I was always front seat, front row, every class. One day, they come to our school, and they tell us they're going to give eye exams. And one by one, they took us out of the classroom. And for those who don't know, back in the day, we didn't have scrubs. Every nurse wore a nice, white, crisp uniform. So here's this nurse in her nice, white, crisp uniform, And it's my turn, and she takes me out in the hallway there in our school in Bradford, Ohio, and she sets me on the chair, and she says, now, Steve, you know, they're trying to make it personal. Now, Steve, read the chart. I said, can I just ask one question? She said, what's that? I said, where is it? I literally couldn't see the chart. Remember, I didn't know about nearsighted, farsighted. I'm nearsighted. I can see the board because I'm a B, but I had no clue that I couldn't see beyond that. Well, well, she then proceeds to tell me, there's a light at the end of the hall. Can you see the light? I could. She said, that's the chart. Now, she writes out the thing, please take this to your parents. Make sure they take you to the doctor, get your eyes exam, because you need glasses. And so in eighth grade, I put these on, and I've had them on ever since. Not the same pair, just so you know. But up until then... If you had asked me, Steve, can you see? Of course I can see. My goodness. I'm in school. We farm. I do all this stuff. I I did always wonder when I tried to play baseball, which I was very poor at, how did that ball suddenly come out of nowhere and appear in my face? And it was very quick for my football coach to realize he better play defense And again, I didn't know I couldn't see the ball. But defense, I could see the guy. Again, if I'd been asked, can you see? Well, of course I can see. So today, as I ask us, because I'm putting myself in it too, can we see? Do we truly have the vision that we should have because we are fixing our eyes on him and then being enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to see ourselves and others from his perspective? What's that look like? All of this, if we're really desiring, and I'm going to be very candid, I don't know that everybody desires to live like this. I just don't. I would pray they would. I would certainly hope that they would, but I can't honestly say That every person wants to live like God wants us to live every day. Those of us who know Christ. 
I think we do. I want us to. But then we have to ask ourselves, well, how well are we doing? And then we have to ask, well, how is it that we fix our eyes on Jesus? One of the obvious reasons is reading the Word of God. In fact, to know the Jesus that we need to know, this is how we get to know him. And we're blessed that we live in a culture and a society where we have this printed for us, we have it recorded for us, we have it in every medium you can possibly get. And that's a blessing. But if we're not utilizing it, if we're not responding to it, if we're not taking advantage of it, so to speak, it means nothing to us. It may mean a ton to the person next to me or the person down the aisle. But what does it mean to me? And how am I doing with it? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. So when we think about this, fixing our eyes on him, which is the next verse, who is the author and perfecter of faith, who for joy, the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down the right hand of the throne of God. Now, it's saying to us that Jesus Christ, who is authoring, creating, perfecting, meaning he's sustaining our faith, he's developing it, he's growing it, he's maturing it, He did all that he did for us to have that relationship with Father God. And then to walk it out every day as a witness and testimony to him as our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So think about it again. As I look at life, I mentioned anger. But what about my past? Almost, we do all sorts of ministry and counseling here, and almost everybody has some kind of junk in their past. So let me give you an illustration of someone in the Bible who had the junk in their past, but saw it from a different perspective. And here's the thing. The Bible never really tells us how he figured it out. It just says that he does. His name was Joseph, mistreated by his brothers, mistreated by his employer, mistreated by those who had him incarcerated. And then out of that comes this incredible man of God who somehow sees it the way he's supposed to see things. To the point that when he was given the opportunity, and he was, To absolutely pay his brothers back tenfold with harm and evil. This quote, if you've not memorized it from Genesis 50, 20, I would encourage you to do so. Father's dead. The boys are there now before Joseph, who has become the prime minister of Egypt, only second to Pharaoh. He has all the power, all the authority to have them executed incarcerated, whatever he wanted to do. It was his choice. And he looked at his brothers and he says to them, what you intended for evil, 
God intended for good to save today much people alive. I'm telling you before God, some of the things that we are required to go through, not because we've done something nasty or dirty or terrible, but just going through in life, whatever it may be, and it can be all sorts of things, all sorts of hurts, all sorts of pains, All of those can be, if we will let God, if we'll look through his lens, see it from his perspective, fixing our eyes on him, we can see it in a way that God can use it in some way to advance and build his kingdom. Remember the prayer we started with? Your kingdom come and your will be done. Your kingdom come. What's that look like? Well, it doesn't look like us ripping and tearing and snorting with each other. It doesn't look like us cussing and fussing just because something's not going our way. It looks like Jesus Christ on the scene revealing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in every circumstance. And we're going to all be given. This is a really wonderful thing. Are you, you ready to say praise God with me? The wonderful thing is that God is going to give us all ample opportunities. Stuff's going to happen. It's called life. And it's coming at us. And sometimes it comes like a freight train. And sometimes it comes like a little puppy or a kitten. But it's still coming at us. And how we respond to that. Is, reveal, or re, is revealing, I should say, of where we have our eyes fixed. Because if I'm looking out just for my interest, if I'm, what's the old phrase, covering my butt? If I'm just covering my butt or trying to take care of, you know, my ego or my pride or whatever, what's going to happen? I'm going to reveal the fact that I, that's not where I'm looking. I'm looking somewhere else. Now, again, everybody in here has to make that choice. Nobody can make it for you. But Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. So when we take the time to do it his way, he works this out for his glory. And we can run this race that God has placed us in and run it well and bring glory to his name. So I thought it would be good. Just to take a few selections of Scripture, I'm not referencing them, I'm just giving the quotes of who He is when we focus on Him. Because we focus on Him through prayer, and we focus on Him through the Word, and we focus on Him through worship. Amen? So here we go. He is light. He is love. He is Lord. He is goodness. He is kindness. He is gentleness. He is God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is pure. His ways are right. His word is true. He is unchanging, and he thinks of me. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my guide. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my comfort. He is my hope. I serve him because I love him, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. He gives me life and life abundant. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-caring. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never leave me, never forsake me, never mislead me, never forget me. When I fall, he picks me up. When I fail, 
he forgives me. When I am weak, he is strong. When I am lost, he shows me the way. When I am afraid, he stands by my side. When I am hurt, he heals me. When I am broken, he mends me. When I am confused, he leads me. When I am hungry, he feeds me. When I have a problem, he solves it. Now again, all of this is us choosing to focus, to fix our eyes on him, to gaze on him. Because it is so easy to get our attention, to get our gaze away from him on ourselves, on others, on circumstances. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when we're disciplined in walking this out, when we're disciplined in seeing things from his perspective, it is amazing how we see it so differently than we would, <clears throat> excuse me, than we would or we do. We're just looking for ourselves. It makes all the difference in the world. So the question is, where are you looking or who are you gazing on? To help in a couple of things. One is on the back table. We've done this printout for years, but it's who I am in Christ. Sometimes the reason we miss it is because we just need to be reminded, this is who I really am in Christ. This is actually two full pages of scripture and just comments of who we really are in Christ. They're on the back table in the center back there after the service. If you don't already have one, please feel free to get one. Excuse me. If you, but then if you have it, you got to use it. (laughs) In other words, it's just paper. Okay. But fixing our eyes on him, taking the time. It's amazing how life can be so different. I ran across this one quote. I meant to give it to you a while ago. This gentleman, after just sharing more and more about who he was in Christ and what God had done for him, he says, if you want to know why I'm so happy and secure, it's because I've been looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of my faith. What do you choose? What do you choose? And I'm going to be very candid again. I think so many times we just choose something else. So many times we just choose ourselves. So last week when the praise team were singing, they were singing the song, Enough. Jesus is enough. And I thought, really? So don't raise your hand. Don't say amen. I just want to ask the question. Because we're going to sing the song in just a little bit. They're going to come back and they're going to sing the song. Is Jesus really enough? Now think about it. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. If everything else you have is taken away, is Jesus really enough? We sang the song last week. Is he really enough? And again, Nobody can answer that question for you, but you. He's enough. Is he really enough? If I lose all my possessions, which we think pretty highly of those in our world, in the Western world. Is he enough? If I should lose 
all the relationships that I have. Is he enough? And what if I should lose my freedom? Because we have a world that's moving us in that direction, in case you're unaware. Is he enough? And because we have had the privilege of seeing our friends from India and what they've gone through as they've lost their freedom by being imprisoned, as they've lost their possessions as they've come in and been commandeered, we've watched them worship. We, we actually have modern-day contemporary people who are exemplifying the thing that we're talking about this morning. We have the history in chapter 11 of those in the Scripture but we're also blessed as a people to know people like that. And, uh, and I don't mean that everybody here knows them personally, but we all have the opportunity to encounter people like that. Because if you go on in chapter 12, it says, yeah, you face some difficulty, but you haven't done it to blood yet. In other words, you haven't had to die for it yet. I'm pleading. Whatever it takes for you to get your attention off of you and your stuff and get it on him so you can see it from his perspective. That doesn't mean that we, you know, eliminate our relationships and go burn all of our stuff, we go quit our jobs. That's not what we're talking about. But it really is back to Revelation where it says in chapter 2 that he's our first love. Or Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then these things will be added to you. Or is he saying there's a priority? There's a way to do this and do it well. And we have that privilege. Chris, if you guys will come, we're going to, like I say, we're going to do that song. I want you to just, as you're hearing the lyrics to this song, just be really honest with yourself before God. Do I really, really have my attention on him? Am I really focused on him? Not just every so often glancing over, oh, Jesus, I need this. Oh, Jesus, I need that. Oh, by the way, I need this. But really where he is the first and foremost of our heart and our life. And and by the way, just so you know, we, we all, I've I've taken the time as I've worked on this message to examine my life looking back over the years and, and blessed with a lot of years. But how have I done with that? And there have been times when I've done way better than others. But here's my commitment to God today, not just because I'm in front of you guys, because I made the commitment before this. But Lord, whatever it is in these years that you've given me to live, that will make you first and that I'm truly, truly, truly fixing on you so I can see whatever you want me to see in the way that you want me to see it so that my actions and my reactions and my life, when anybody sees me, they see you.